going to continue in Romans. I, uh, I hope that we're getting some confidence in the book of Romans that you can read it for yourself and have understanding of uh, the words that Paul has written um, because this is the foundation of our faith. The first 11 chapters of Romans are really the foundation of our faith. And I kind of feel like I'm doing a disservice by kind of breezing through it. Um, But I believe this is what the Lord wanted to do and with an encouragement then that you would go back and read it for yourselves and go even deeper. As you notice, I'm not doing a lot of looking at other books, um, which we could very well do with just about every verse that's in here. Um, As I have mentioned in the past, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones took 13 years to get through the book of Romans, and we don't have that much time. So um, I'm just kind of doing what I call a jet tour, and again, hoping that you will uh, pick up the book and read it, study it for yourselves, and at least have some understanding as you Uh, get into it. Uh, We're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 13. We've talked uh, about the outline of the book, that Romans can be outlined uh, with from chapter 1, or 1, verses 17 as an introduction, from 18 through 320, We are all identified as sinners. There is nobody that falls outside of the category of being a sinner and needing a Savior. And from 321 through chapter 5, uh, Paul talks about salvation, talks about justification. What has God done for us? 6, 7, and 8 are going to be on sanctification. All right, if we are justified and we are in God and we are right with God now, how should we live? And then um, t- uh, 9 through uh, 11 is the sovereignty of God. And then 12 through 16 is going to be the service. Again, if all of these things are true from chapter 1 through chapter 11, again, how should we live? It's our reasonable service, and he goes through the various things in those chapters about what we should be doing, how we should be looking at this life, how we should be looking at this world. So, we went through um, to the point now where we're talking about that faith has always been God's plan for salvation. It has never been by works. And we're picking it up in chapter 4, in verse 13. And we've got this promise that, that Abraham was given. And we're looking at what was Abraham's understanding. Was Abraham justified by works or was he justified by faith? And we found out that it is by faith. But Paul goes on to give us a few more points about this. And starting in verse 13, he says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Let me pray before we jump in any further here. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the the wisdom that you have given us that you have given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. Lord, that we know that we're not moved by our feelings, we're not moved by our emotions, we're not moved by what we think is right, but Lord, we can know what is right. And Lord, I just thank you for that, because this is something that we would not come up with out of our own selves, the grace, the mercy that you have for us. As other religions show They're always offering sacrifices to their gods to appease them. And Lord, that is not you. Lord, there's been one sacrifice by you, by your son, that has brought us into right relationship. And Father, just 
lead our, our talk this morning. And Father, may I say the things that are on your heart and only those things, Lord. And may open the ears, the spiritual ears of those that are here and those that are online to hear the good news that you have for all of us. And we just thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. For the promise to Abraham and to his descendants. Now, some of your Bibles might say, or to, or to his seed. And I, I think both words are true, but the greater one to see is that the promise was to Abraham and to his seed, singular. And the seed we find out in the book of Galatians is Jesus Christ. So the promise given to Abraham was also given to Jesus, who would be the heir of the whole world. And we'll talk about that as we move on here. But it's also to Abraham's descendants. And as we've talked before, we have the Jewish people, the circumcised people, who by faith are God's children or Abraham's descendants. And then you have us Gentiles who are uncircumcised, who have believed that Abraham is our father also and that these promises are to all of Abraham's children. And it's not through the law. We talked about the law and its purposes and we'll touch on it again as we move forward. But through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. If, 14, for those who are of the law, if those who are of the law are heirs, the law required complete, total obedience. And it was never intended to be the way to right standing with God. Its purpose was to show us what sin is, convict us of our sin, and then recognizing that we need a Savior. We all have God's wrath upon us at that point, and we need a Savior who will come and will take that wrath away from us and restore us to being the children of God and of the family of Abraham. So, it's not of the law, it's not of works, but if it was, faith would be made void and the promise nullified. We'd have to obey all of the commandments all of the time, from youth being a baby when we begin to know right from wrong, through our entire lives until we pass and would die, and find out that none of us have been able to obey the law. And we, I think we all knew that pretty early in our lives. 15, for the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there also is no violation. So the law brings the wrath of God. And that is something that the Jewish people lost sight of. They thought they could obey. They thought they could obey all of it. They looked on the outside. Jesus called them, you know, whited sepulchers. They looked really good on the outside because they were, they were obeying the things that were, would appear to other people. But he said, on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones because on the inside of them was greed, uh, self, selfishness, you name it. It was on the inside of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. And therefore, it was not of the law, but that law the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes should have recognized was there, and it would show that we are under the wrath of God, and again, that we need a Savior. We cannot do it on our own. 
Verse 16. For this reason, it's by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. By this reason, it's by faith, in accordance with God's grace, God's unmerited favor. And sometimes for us as human beings, it's hard to really get a grasp of that because we want to do something. We want to be praised. We want to, wow, what a good boy am I. If any of that becomes true, then it is no longer grace. It is something that we have earned. But it's grace. It's totally by grace. So that the promise is guaranteed to all those descendants, not only those who are of the faith, but also uh, those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. If we receive it by faith, we are in good standing with God. We are in right standing with God. He sees us as holy, and he sees us as blameless. No guilt. No more guilt. That is good news. Amen? Amen. 17. So as it is written, the father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him who he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Abram's Ham's name, don't leave it there. Abraham's name was changed to Abraham and that name means a father of many nations. Every time Abraham said his name, he had the promise that he would be a father of many nations. And I believe it was part and parcel, if not a big part, of the reason that he had faith towards God and what God had promised he would fulfill. In the presence of whom he believed God, who gives life to the dead. Abraham and Sarah, by all rights for having children, were dead. There was no way this was going to happen. But God gives life to the dead. He gave life to Abraham. He gave life to Sarah so that they could bring a new life into the world, Isaac. And he calls into being that which does not exist. I think this goes all the way back to creation. Creation, nothing existed. There was, if you can imagine, nothing. And God spoke the word and all things came into being. All things came from nothing. And just free, when you talk about evolution and the people that believe that the universe was always here, or that we can go all the way back to where there was a pinpoint that had the whole universe in it. Where did the pinpoint come from? There was a time when there was nothing, and there was a time instantly that there was everything. So God is the one who calls things into existence. I didn't exist. He called me. The new heaven and the new earth are something that doesn't exist right now, but God has called it into existence. It will be here. All right, 18. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. He had this hope is not a worldly hope, that has uncertainty in it, where maybe it'll happen and maybe it won't. But this hope is a sure hope. It will take place. And Abraham had that hope in God, in God's promise, that he would be the father of many nations. And if you think about it, at this point, Abraham and Sarah were childless. And yet God is saying, your descendants, so shall your descendants be. You're going to be not only the father of a child, 
And not only the father of the Jewish nation, but you're going to be the father of all nations. 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He looked at himself. No way can I have children. He looked at Sarah. No way can she have children. I want you to think about this. If you were 100 years old or you were 90 years old and somebody said to you, you're going to have a baby, what would be, what would be your reaction? You'd, you'd probably laugh just the way kind of Abraham and, and Sarah laughed, you know, and named their child laughter, you know. So that's the situation that he had, and yet the Bible tells us that he was not weak in his faith because he knew that God was able to do the things that he promised. As we move on, 420. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And again, I believe part of the growing in strength of his faith was the fact that his name was and meant father of many nations. Giving glory to God, that God was able to do this. This is something that God is. He calls things into existence. He gives life to the dead. We give him glory for that, 21. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. He knew that God was going to do this. He wasn't quite sure what the timing was going to be, right? But he knew that God was going to do this. And if you remember the story, it was 25 years from the time of the promise to when Isaac was born. How many of us would waver in our faith if something takes 25 years? There are things that you are hoping for. There are things that you are believing God for. Don't give up. Keep your faith pushed up against that, that God is able to do his will, and he will perform it. He is faithful. Amen? Amen. 22. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness, which we looked at before. And we looked at that crediting of righteousness came before he was circumcised, not after. He was circumcised as a sign of that belief in God. 23. Now, and this is important, this is not for his sake only. This is not for Abraham's sake only. Was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also? If we have faith, if we have the faith of Abraham, it will be credited to us as righteousness. As those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised for our justification Jesus bore our sins. He was delivered. He took on our sins. He didn't become a sinner. He took the sins on. He was still fully God. But he took the sins on of the whole world for all time. And when he died, we talked about the infinite power of the blood of Christ that it would take care of all of the sins of the world, past, present, and future, and was raised for our justification. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, you and I would still be in our sins. It took the resurrection from the dead to show that the sacrifice was approved by God the Father and satisfied his requirement of justice and holiness. Next. 
Am, am I going? I'm going to, uh, where am I going? <laughs> yeah, actually, I am going to chapter 5, but I want to go to Romans 3.28 first. So, the... Paul tells us in Romans 3.28, he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Then, in order to show that it's by faith, we went into chapter 4 and we looked at Abraham and the faith of Abraham and the, and the, uh, the faith that credited him with righteousness. And now, starting in chapter 5, Paul is going to kind of go back to that statement and he's going to tell us what the results of that justification are. The results of being declared not guilty. Again, justified is a one-time, once and for all, declared not guilty. It's not in the present tense, which means there's an ongoing aspect of it. It is a done deal. You are not guilty if you are in Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, having been declared not guilty, having faith and believing that God did this for us through Jesus, we now have result one, we have peace with God. We were, en- we, were, we were enemies of God before this. We were on his l- list of wrath getters. But we are now, we have, we've gone from being an enemy to having peace with God. We are part of his family. And this all came through our Lord Jesus Christ. On through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. Result number two is that we have obtained an introduction by faith into this unmerited favor in which we stand. Result number two. Result number three is we exalt or we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now that we are his children and now that we are in Christ, now that we've been declared not guilty, now that we are holy and blameless, we can live with God. God cannot allow sin of any sort in his presence. Therefore, you and I needed to be without sin. And we are without sin if we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus' life His righteous life, his obedient life has been put to your account now. I don't know if I said this here or said it somewhere else, but it's like you and I sitting here and somebody puts a million dollars into our bank account. But I don't know it. What good is it, right? Well, this righteousness is available to everybody and anybody who believes. They got a million dollars in their bank account. Somebody needs to tell them it's there. And we're going to see that that's part of our job. So, we have, we have peace with God. We have into this grace that we stand And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3. And not only this. We also rejoice in our tribulations. What? (laughs) What? Knowing. Okay, I'm just going to stop there. And not only this, but we also rejoice in our tribulations. Here, Paul begins to get into this dichotomy that we have. What even appears to be an oxymoron is that here we are. We are justified, declared not guilty before God. Yet, 
There is going to be tribulation. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tests. There's going to be suffering in this life. One of the commentaries that I read said, here we are, kings and priests, seated at the right hand of the Father, and yet we are going to suffer on this earth from the presence of sin. We've got on the inside of us the Holy Spirit, but on the outside we still have this fleshly body that has its desires, its lusts that are contrary to the word. So, on one hand, we're saved, not guilty. On the other hand, there's going to be a struggle that we go through in this lifetime. Knowing that this tribulation, this testing, these suffering brings about perseverance. Or some of your Bibles may say patience. Not only are we in Christ, but God wants to make us like Christ. The process of sanctification, growing from glory to glory, becoming more and more Christ-like. And as we're in those tests, if we're passing those tests, the Bible promises in 1 Corinthians that with every temptation, with every trial, with anything that comes in that tests you, God has given us a way out. And that way out is through his word and with the help of his spirit. We can overcome those things, but how many of us do? I have this desire to be totally obedient to God, and yet I know that I am going to fail at different points. But as I have victory, it's going to bring about a perseverance or a patience. Next verse. And perseverance, proven character. We, we talk about people being saved and people that have made or declared or proclaimed a profession of Christ. And yet, the way that they live is no different than before. They believe that they have hellfire insurance. If we are truly saved, if we are children of God, then the tests that we come up against, we are going to patiently go through them, we're going to persevere, and it's going to prove our character. And proven character results in hope. And 5.5. Five. And hope does not disappoint. Again, this hope is a hope of the certainty that we have. The certainty that we are the children of God. And that we are moving more and more into Christ likeness. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. Another result is that we've been given the Holy Spirit. We have God templed inside of each one of us. And the love of God has been poured out. I don't know about you, but if any true believer... You should love God for what he's done, for just who he is. And that love results in a desire to be obedient to his commands. Amen? If you don't have a desire to be obedient to God's commands, you need to take a close look at yourself, as Scripture says. Examine yourselves and see if you're in the faith. As we see people who claim to be Christians and yet you don't see it in their life at all, we need 
Only God knows if they're saved or not. But from the outside, it looks like they're not. And we need to pray for them that they will get salvation or they will get a realization of what salvation is all about. Six, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Were we helpless before Jesus? Yes, we were all sinners and we were all under his wrath. We were helpless. We were hopeless. But at the time that God decided, God the Father decided, before history ever began, before time and space ever began, the time of Jesus' arrival on this earth was set. And it happened at exactly the right time because God was the one who set it up. And he died for the ungodly. Which is everybody who doesn't have him as Savior and Lord. For, think about it, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. You may decide to give up your life to help somebody that you really care about, that you really love. But would you give up your life for one of your enemies? Probably not. So, for a good man, for our country, men, women are willing to go into battle to save and preserve the freedom that we have. They're willing to die to protect this nation. But, 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. Nine, much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. If he died for sinners, and now that we're his, how much more can we expect that things are going to be great? Amen? We shall be saved from wrath. We are no longer children of wrath. We are God's children. We are in his family. Ten. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son... Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Again, looking at what he did when we were enemies, how much more will the things be that he'll do for us now that we are his children? Next. And not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I should have said back that the result number five or six is that we've been saved from the wrath of God. Now in verse 11, we have the sixth or the seventh result is that we have now received the reconciliation. We are in right standing with God. He said it so many different ways here that hopefully everybody gets it. We are justified. We are reconciled to God. We've got peace. We've got God living on the inside of us. We're rejoicing in the day that we're going to be with him. How much more could we ask? I don't think anything. All right, so then 12... So he covers the results of our justification and then he says, therefore, and we all know what therefore is therefore, right? To see what's therefore. All right. 
So therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Through the one man, Adam, go on to 13. Through one man, Adam, we were all falling under the curse and we are all now born with a bent towards evil as sinners. We're not as evil as we could be. I'm sure you have like I have. You got some thoughts that run through your head and you go, yeah, where did that come from? But then we do have people that carried out some pretty horrible things. So we are not as bad as we could be. But we inherited that from Adam. And you might say, isn't that a little unfair? And in God's economy, what he was showing us was a covenantal situation. Adam represented all of mankind. And when Adam fell, we all fell within Adam. And then when we personally sinned, when we personally sinned, we confirmed that fallen nature. For until the law, sin was in the world, death was the penalty for Adam's sin. As you know, he should have physically died when he sinned, but God had mercy on him and he lived, but he was spiritually dead. He was separated from God. And because of that separation, he needed to be driven out of the Garden of Eden along with Eve. And physical death wouldn't come from almost another thousand years. But it would come. We know that the law was built into every human being that was born through their conscience. So everybody from the time of Adam until the time of Moses sinned and they died. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. But those people died. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. We are all in Adam with Adam's sin as a type, as a covenantal relationship. I think just quickly in a covenant, to enter into a covenant, you can, I picture the Indians and the Westerners. And one of the things that they did when they decided that they could live together, which didn't last very long, if you remember, if you see that in the Western movies, they would cut themselves, either in the wrist or in the hand, and then the two, the two representatives would clasp their hands or clasp their wrists and say, we are in covenant with one another. Somebody comes after you, we're coming after them. And if somebody comes after us, you come after them. Whatever you have is mine and whatever I have is yours. So Adam's in his offense, we all got it. But he's a type of the one who came, who is Jesus, who is now a representative of, of all those who have faith. 5.15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For by the transgression of one the many died. Much more did the grace of God and the gift of grace of one man. Jesus Christ abound to the many. In Adam all died. In Jesus all those who believe are made alive. 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from what Adam did, 
resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift that Jesus offers arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification, being declared not guilty. 17. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through one man, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus. Again, condemned under Adam, alive under Jesus. 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. 19. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, or we would know what sin is. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness, to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He said that many different ways. Through Adam, we are all sinners. Through Jesus, all of us who believe are made right with God, peace with God. The results of justification are ours. So, at this point, he's finished with justification, and now... He's going to go on, starting in chapter 6, with sanctification, which is where we will pick it up next week. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time. We thank you for this truth that we have. Lord, I would just ask that this would be so deeply ingrained in each one of us as believers, that when we fall, and when we fall again and again, Lord, that if we confess that, that you are faithful to forgive, that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, the devil is going to take us on a guilt trip. He's going to get us on that treadmill And he's going to just yap, 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 yap in our ear about how miserable we are. How could we do this? How could God love us? And we have got to come back to these scriptures that we have been declared not guilty. Devil, take a hike. And continue to learn to walk by the Spirit. Father, that's what you want us to do. We will never be completely holy in this life. That is something that we have a hope, a certainty that will be ours in the future. So Lord, we just thank you for the, for the good news of this. Again, words just cannot express our thanksgiving for what you have provided for us, for what you have made true. And just may it be alive in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to have communion. And I think this is a good place to have it. Ushers, if you would come forward. We'll do them one at a time this week, all right? All right. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, this is an excellent time to do it. If you have any sin in your life, 
Corinthians at the time of communion talks about examining ourselves. Examine yourselves and see if there's anything there that is something that you may be hanging on to. Sins that you've committed. And again, remembering the promise that if we confess it, that God's faithful to forgive it. So that when we come to communion, we can celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus made so that all of the sins could be taken away. I like to read this every time that I do communion because I get nervous and I don't want to forget anything that the scripture says about communion. So it says in 11, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's all take the bread and remember.
So in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Everybody drink. Thank you, gentlemen. Father, we do remember 2,000 years ago what Jesus, your son, suffered for our sakes. Lord, I'm fully convinced that if there was just one of us, Jesus would have suffered for us. Lord, I just ask that you would open the hearts of those that are listening. If there's anyone who doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, talk with someone who is a believer. Ask them what you must do to be saved. And they will show you, guide your prayer, so that you can become part of the family of God. And Lord, again, we just say thank you. We look forward to the day when you return to take us home to be with you for all of eternity. And that hope that we have is a certainty. It will happen. It will take place. It is an anchor to our soul. And Lord, because of it, we will live, we want to live to glorify you. And with your help, Lord, with your spirit, we will do that and we will become more and more Christ-like day by day. So, Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.